This is Conquering Columbus. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 277 of the show. And this week, we've got Rebecca McCusker, and she is the chief creative officer at the Creative Content Shop. We talk about a lot of things with Rebecca, but amongst those are how she got her start as a freelance writer before founding the Creative Content Shop. I knew that it was going to end up being a, a probably a marketing agency, but I really started making money freelance writing. That first year, I was a freelance writer. And when was this? January 3rd, 2018. We also talk about the importance of doing your best work early on and how that expands as your business grows. A couple of the clients that I made in those first months of being a freelance writer, I still have today. And those clients kind of have grown a lot with me and those accounts have exploded, so to speak. And we touch on the importance of listening to your audience before creating content. We spend all this time and money creating this content and nobody cares. They Mm -hmm. get no engagement. The reason for that quite often is that they don't take the time to actually listen to their audience, to get to know who they're talking to. What do they need from your business? What are they worried about? What questions do they keep asking? So as always, hope you enjoy this episode. Let's dive right into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. I am your co-host, Mike. We got everybody in the booth today. Josh, Tim, what's going on? Josh is like looking at an email or something and is not even ready to have I'm a holding out. I'm holding out for Tim. Because I want to see just, if he'd go first. He just thinks that he can be more dominant and do whatever <laughs> he wants. My relationship with Tim is very similar to my relationship with my dog. Sometimes I just look him in the Love eyes that. and I wait I wait to see who's going to turn away first. <laughs> and then and then that person conquers. Who turns away first between you and Ezra? Oh, typically me, dude. She's very, yeah, she's she very... She just stares. Yeah. I saw a video of her licking the refrigerator the other day. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, she's a big fan. For the record, Ezra is Josh's dog. <laughs> yeah, not, not my uh, child or sibling or whatever else it could be. Today's good, man. I think we got to change the topic. Um, the sun is out. It's nice weather. Uh Everything else is good. Yeah. What, Tim, will you just talk? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just got back in town. I was actually up in Michigan uh, on the lake and I had like a really solid day of just not working. Mm -hmm. We got out on a boat. My buddies bought this like 1989 boat. Boat. It's like, it's old, but it's super nice. Yeah, we had a blast and (laughs) it was beautiful. I was in Grand Haven. I don't know if you know that. It was, it was, it was awesome. Well, good. Good. I'm like, Today's my first full day back, and I've been going since seven, so I'm like kind of exhausted. But well, on that note, I think good place to introduce yeah. our guests for this week. Today on the show, we've got Rebecca McCusker joining us, and Rebecca is the chief creative officer at the Creative Content Shop, a local marketing agency here in Columbus that specializes as a one-stop digital marketing shop for small brands and entrepreneurs. Uh, many small businesses have to guess on how to resonate with their desired audiences, which is why we're talking today with Rebecca, not just about her story in the creative content shop, but also on the power of listening and asking great questions. We're really excited to have Rebecca on the show. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Rebecca. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And, uh, you know, how's your day going so far? It's good. Good. I realized yeah. I have broccoli grown in my garden. Got really? 16 eggs from the chicken coop today. That's how you know it's a good day. You have a chicken coop? Yeah, yeah. I live outside the city. How many chickens are we talking about? We're talking six chickens. Okay. So, I, you know, we forgot to gather them yesterday. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so we're ready to make some some omelets. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I don't know how weird and inappropriate this comment's going to be, but broccoli growing in my garden sounded like just like a starting of an analogy. And I didn't know <laughs> if you were being serious. This is a second. metaphor. And, yeah. uh, this is literal, literal broccoli. And I've never grown broccoli before. And I was like, that's where it comes out. Uh, yeah, I was like, I was actually just thinking about that. Like, what does a broccoli plant look like growing 
Yeah, I wasn't sure what to look for, and there it is. Is They're on a table with like rubber bands around it. (laughs) (laughs) That's where it comes from. Purple rubber bands. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's the farthest I've gone. I was looking under the plant, like it's going to appear under the plant, right? No, it appears like in the center, right on top of the plant. So it just looks like a little mini tree. Exactly. I'm like, all right, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've learned something. If you cut a tree when it's small enough, you can eat it like broccoli. That's that a, is a, that's that a is true a fact. fact. That you is could, science. You could eat it, I'm sure, but I mean. Well, I'm just know. telling you, try it. All right. <laughs> Concord so. Columbus does not recommend trying to eat trees. <laughs> I, I do. We're well off track already, though. So, uh, <laughs> so Rebecca, let's talk a little bit about uh, how you kind of got into. I mean, like we typically like to take a step back and just talk about yeah. kind of your story, how you got to where you are. Yeah, yeah. And so that could include any of the big highlights along the way, all the way from, have you always lived in Columbus? I have not. I'm uh, actually an East Coaster. Okay. Moved around a lot as a kid. What part of the East Coast? Uh, well, I was born in what Florida. Parts? Then we moved to Virginia, then Connecticut, then Rhode Island, then Philly, and here I am. Why all the moving? Uh, you know, everyone asks that. Everyone's like, "Is it the military?" And I'm mm-hmm. like, "Nah, it's marketing." And my dad uh, works for works for Sherwin Williams Paints yeah. in Cleveland, and they just kept promoting him. He just stuck with the company his whole life, and they kept uh, promoting him, and he was always down to move, so. Well, it's like they don't have, like, a company headquarters? Did he they do, company? yeah. <laughs> they do, but they're like, we want you in Malvern now. Right. You know? So, yeah, so he's uh, he's up in Cleveland now, and I've been in Ohio now for over a decade, and mm-hmm. it's like the claw. You can't leave. Right, it's yeah, great. you're going to get stuck. Yeah. You're going to get stuck, but yeah. uh, moving around a lot, where'd you go to school? Ohio State. Ohio State. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. Now, right. now it all makes sense. Exactly. And uh, so you go to Ohio State. Did you study marketing at Ohio State? Um, you know what? It's funny. I actually started out starting in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I was like, you know, I, I really just want to do creative writing. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was the math classes. <laughs> but um, ultimately, I really, li- and it's really interesting. I uh, struggled in business writing, mm-hmm. which is literally what I do now. Right. Um, and I've learned so, so much since I was 18 years old. Right. But I studied creative writing all throughout college, you know, short stories, poetry, novels. And, um, so I really was into that for a long time. And, mm-hmm. um, now that I'm in marketing, it's like, well, everything is a story. So it kind of feeds into it. Right. You know? No, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So what did you do right out of college? Did you jump right into your own agency or did you go, you know, do some other things before that? Uh, it was definitely a journey to the agency. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, double majored actually in strategic communications. I took an internship at nationwide insurance. I was a little copywriter Mm -hmm. at nationwide. And after that I worked, uh, as a journalist for city scene magazine that, which was awesome. I loved that. And then I, uh, I was actually a nanny for a while and I was freelance writing a lot. And then I, I started working as a copy manager at Abbott Nutrition. I was working with a bunch of other copywriters on Similac, Pediosure, Pedialyte, Ensure, mm-hmm. those brands. And How uh, creative can you get with that copy? I can't imagine know, it's right. anything too I was extravagant. Like, uh, <laughs> Yeah, if you, you got really broccoli in your garden, follow. yeah, right. Take it, two shots. You have to way. really follow the brand voice, and right. I learned so much because you got to stick with it within those legal re- regulatory lines too. Mm-hmm. There are certain things you can't say. Mm-hmm. You ha- you know, if we're talking about this product will help your child gain weight in eight weeks, you have to back that up with medical studies, right? So there's like you know, hey guys, we have to stick within the medical and legal and regulatory lines. Well, in like the 1920s, you could say whatever you wanted. Right, exactly. I that was, was actually, such a beautiful year. I wish we could go back. Time. So actually, <laughs> when I they was listening to a podcast. Just gave cocaine as like the yeah. cure for anything. Cocaine was also yeah. a, a medical product. And I was listening to a podcast where 
these guys were looking, it was like a particular like antibiotic that wouldn't dissolve in anything. So they found a way to dissolve it, but it was a poison that they dissolved it in, shipped it, started killing a bunch of people. They had to go track it all down. The FDA, and then this is before the FDA was around, but they're like, yeah, the salespeople would not help the agency that was like trying to track this stuff down. They're like, hey, this product literally kills people. We need to figure out who you sent it to. And the salespeople were like, I don't know, because the company couldn't talk to their salespeople fast enough because you had to send them freaking letters and they're traveling right. salespeople. So the salespeople oh, were like, I don't know if the company would want me to help this person. That so is like, sketch. Yeah. Crazy world. Crazy world <laughs> yeah. in the 1920s. But yeah. Sorry. More doctors smoke Completely sidetracked. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but going back to where we were at, so we're doing that copy for Pedialyte and those types of things. Yeah, I've been nutrition. You got to be really is, careful with that. Yeah. And uh, I, that was the first time in my whole career that I was like, I love this. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved working with creatives and I, I, I just loved kind of having to, because before that I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a creative and the less rules, the better. And actually kind of having those rules around it made it a little more interesting in a way. And yeah, you could have been creative sometimes, but it's not like, you know, it's not like the liberties that smaller agencies can take mm-hmm. with their clients that don't have legal and regulatory and medical claims. Right. Um, so, and after that, I, um, I managed uh, four brands actually at a kind of medium sized decor company out of Groveport. And I was like the only marketing person on that entire team. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can do this myself. <laughs> you know, I, I, I was tired of having to wake up at five in the morning. Mm-hmm. I was just kind of burnt out. And I was like, I really want to do this for myself. And I think I can do this really well. And then I struck it on my own. And this is where the creative content shop comes into play? Yeah, eventually. eventually. It wasn't <laughs> yeah. called that at the start? I didn't know what it was going to be called. Mm-hmm. I knew that it was going to end up being a... Uh, probably a marketing agency, but I really started making money freelance writing Right. that first few months. And even that first year or so, I was a freelance writer. And when was this? This was, uh, that started January 3rd, 2018. So about three and a half years ago now. Yeah. yeah. We're moving through yeah. 2021 very yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah. I almost said yeah. 2020, if you couldn't tell, but yeah, uh, we're, we're moving quick. Yeah, so you, you brought it home. You started doing the freelance writing and I, something I'm curious about and always with people yeah. who do design work and branding for other companies. Yeah. Was it difficult doing it for your own company? Oh, okay. So I always make the joke that we are the cobbler without any shoes. Hmm. I think our copy is really strong as a creative content shop Mm -hmm. because I'm a copywriter. But what's kind of hilarious is that our marketing is really bad. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like something that I'm like, okay, well, you know, now, now we're really starting to, to get in the stride. We're really Mm -hmm. starting to be consistent and understand who we're talking to. And it's been a whole process, you know, like we can do something so well for other people, but when it comes to our own business, um, it's totally different ball game. Yeah. I think it's because it's hard to see yourself sometimes. Our sponsor is Waveform Music Group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. What did the early days look like? So you mentioned you were just yeah. doing some some copy and you were just randomly landing work. How did you get the business? Mostly through referrals and Upwork. And what's kind of funny is, you know, a couple of the clients that I made in those first months of being a freelance writer, I still have today. And as my marketing clients and those clients kind of have grown a lot with me and those accounts have 
exploded, so to speak. A lot of it kind of started with people being like, all right, I need four blogs. Can you do that? Yeah, sure. And then, you know, as they are growing as a business, they're like, okay, well, we need SEO. Okay, cool. I can do that. Can you do newsletters? Yeah, I can do that. Can you do this and that? Yeah. All right. So it's Mm -hmm. like I started getting people that needed an entire suite of marketing services. So it turned into you know, me being like, man, I need a social media manager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I need a photographer. I need all these people, you know, because it's not fun being the person spinning all the plates, you know? Right. How did you decide to manage those different requirements and necessities, those job necessities you needed early on? Did you just decide I'm going to start doing and outsourcing that throughout work or were you bringing people on as contractors right away? Not right away. It took me a while to bring on contractors, especially since, you know, people weren't coming to me for the longest time for say video or, you know, social media, they were coming to me because they knew I was a writer. So it did take me a very long time to start to contract out. It took me extra long to start hiring other writers because that's my skill. That's my zone of genius is writing. So it took me an extra long time to find writers. But basically it started, it turned into an actual team when a couple of my clients told me straight up, you know, like, hey, like, can you start running our social media accounts? And Can you do our newsletters and all this stuff? And I was doing it by myself for a really long time, you know, social media accounts and all the the jazz. Um, And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to find people better than me at this. And that felt really good to like find people that were experts at it. You know, I'm good at social media, but that's not my jams, you know? So I found people that were better than me at it, who I could really trust with it. And then I'm getting better results for the clients. So it kind of organically happened like that. Mm-hmm. Now, any mistakes in the hires? I mean, well, I guess that's probably a hard question to, to answer. You don't have to use names, but to the level you're comfortable with, like, did you bring on any contracts or anything at that point in time where you thought, well, I'm, I kind of want to exit this and that was a mistake early on or has everything been good from the hiring perspective? Finding good people is the hardest. What I've always done was I've tested people. So I'm going to give you a test article and we're going to see how it goes. Or I'm going to test you out on this and then we're going to workshop it. And then, you know, after a while, I'll see if that person is able to meet the requirements of the project. You know, and sometimes you get an an amazingly talented creative that just doesn't show up. And that's always a bummer, you know, or you get an amazingly talented creative that just doesn't fit the voice or just doesn't fit the vision of the client. Finding fit is continues to be a challenge to this day. Yeah. And being able to rely on other people. If I find a creative that is good at what they do and they show up and they hit deadlines, I love them and I want to take real good care of them. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's hard. So as you kind of started to build out this team and you're taking on different projects for clients, I'm guessing the brand evolves over time, but why the creative content shop? Where'd the name come from? What made you decide that direction? Yeah. So one of my main creative inspirations throughout my whole life has been Jim Henson. And I love the energy and creativity that he and his team brought to Jim Henson's creature shop. And I love the concept, like the word shop to me sounds Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're workshopping something. Mm -hmm. You're like literally putting your hands on something. You're working through it. You're giving feedback. Um, you know, you're being constructive and you're changing something and you're working with, you know, like, how can we make this better? Um, And so that kind of spirit of workshopping and enthusiasm and creativity I wanted to bring to my business as well. And also the simplicity of the creative content shop. You know, you see what you get. This is what we do. We do creative content, you know. So that's kind of where the name came from. 
I was trying to be like a little more witty in the beginning with like, what are we going to name this business, you know, and just nothing really felt right until that. We're going to take a quick break here to thank one of our sponsors, the Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is committed to serving as a trusted partner and resource to organizations striving to improve our community here in Columbus. All right, let's get back to the episode. As you've kind of grown and evolved, something you, when you reached out to us, right, and we, we were talking yeah. back and forth, you mentioned listening yeah. as a key part of how you go to business and what you do. So how does listening come into play here? And can you be a little more specific and elaborate on why yeah. that's so important to you? Yeah, for sure. So one thing that I've noticed that a lot of business owners struggle with is, okay, we spend all this time and money creating this content, whether it's blogs or videos or what have you, social media, and nobody cares. Mm -hmm. They get no engagement. They don't get any more traffic to their website. It just sits there collecting Mm -hmm. dust. And the reason for that quite often is that they don't take the time before creating the content to actually listen to their audience, to get to know who they're talking to. So the listening comes in as, it's literally market research. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, who are these people? What do they care about? What keeps them up at night? What do they need from your business? What are they worried about? What questions do they keep asking? So that is what listening really means to me. And I work with coaches, sexuality, relationship coaches, health coaches, nutrition coaches, Sometimes they're afraid to ask their audiences, oh, well, will this make me look unprofessional? No, it makes you look more professional because it makes you look like you're out there on the front lines. Mm -hmm. You know, it makes you look like you care a lot. And what I love about listening the most, I think, is how unexpected it can be. I can, you know, one of my clients is a garden center out of Dayton, Stocks Lakers Greenhouse, and I can make an educated guess about what their audience is going to want all day long. And I love being proven wrong. Mm -hmm. This happened literally last week. I was like, you know what? I don't think this program is going to be a hit and here's why. Mm -hmm. But look, I'm going to go do the market research. I'll let you know what I find. I was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I I texted, I texted the owner like, Hey, oh my gosh, like you would not believe this. I was so wrong. This is going to be a hit, Mm -hmm. you know? So I love that listening shows us what we didn't know. We didn't know. We can make assumptions all day long, but those assumptions might be very wrong. So that's why it's so important to listen. When you talk about that market research side, uh, a lot of that's probably going to be dependent on the quality of questions that you ask. So how do you yeah. go about trying to gather that data and trying to do things in a way where it's not biased? Yeah. So there's basically the question asking happens after the listening in a way. A lot of it is just going where the audience hangs out. And a lot of this is on the internet. So going to forums, comment sections, even books that people write that are applicable to the topic at hand, looking at comments, reading comments on social media, really anything, Reddit, Facebook groups, and identifying, and you'll start to see whatever you're looking into, whether it's gardeners in Southwest Ohio or married men who are having relationship problems, there's always going to be commonalities in what they're struggling with. And you can start to see the patterns And then of those patterns, you can start to create curiosities about those patterns. And that's where the questions come in, you know? And of course, you have to know how to ask questions in a way that doesn't set them up for bias, right? But we ask questions in a way that as as much as we can to not set them up for a specific answer. So it sounds like your approach is very much studying them. And then once you feel like you understand the context at a pretty deep level, then then going in with 
as much of an unbiased question base as you can. Yeah. What, what if there's not a lot of access points? Like, I mean, some people's customer base, there might not be a lot of research on it. Like, how do you, do you have tactics that your team has gone about to try to uncover those things? Yeah. And there are some audiences that are real hard to crack. Um, and in those cases, it's reaching out to people that are already embedded in those communities. That's like a lot of it because you can send out a survey and if eight people respond, that's not a strong survey, right? So it's partnering with people that work within the industries that they're like, I deal with these people day in, day out. And they can tell you, you know, how your approach might be flawed in some way. They can tell you how these people think, what these people worry about. So really talking to the people that are embedded in those industries are a great way to get in there. Because some, some uh, communities don't talk online. What about the strategy for the team uh, in terms of what projects you will take on and what projects you won't take on and, and where you want to take the team moving forward? So I love long-term relationships. Instead of doing like a suite of four blogs and then being like, Casey, uh, which we, we do that, you know, and we have done that, but... I much prefer taking on long-term projects where we can get them from here to there. Before working with us, you were making this much money or bringing in this many leads to your website. And we were able to expand that by X amount percent. I love that. And that's where I want my team. And that's where I want my clients is long-term relationships where we develop trust together. We feel like neighbors. We feel like friends. Great working relationships open communication lines, you know, where they feel like they can come to us for any of their marketing needs. And it's just like, they can trust us to handle it. So really long-term relationships where we're tackling all of their content, blogs, videos, newsletters, market research, data reporting, any and all of it. And so we're growing together and that's really where I want to be right now. Well, you do like sales collateral and, and one pagers and things like that. That'll be within the organization. Like, is, is your focus more on the SEO side of things and like more lead generation versus? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess they both could be considered lead generation to some extent, but just different forms of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll totally tackle the uh, you know sales funnel, landing page, lead generation, uh, you know, lead magnet stuff like that. And you know, one thing I find that people don't understand about SEO sometimes it's not a set it and leave it thing. It's a you got to grind on this for months thing <laughs> in order for SEO to really work because you know you can do backend coding, metadata, alt tags. You can do that all day long, but it's just gonna sit there. It's only through content that we can see growth and get results. So yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it is a matter of setting up a sales funnel and then writing a really killer landing page and just leaving it. Sometimes there is a place for that. So yeah, we'll totally take those. Those are exciting too, because then you can come back later and see what, you know, if you A-B tested it, which landing page did better. Maybe one did 75% better than the other one. So those are some of the one-off projects we do take, but um, it's rare that we're gonna, you know, at this point, at least it's rare that we're gonna get a client that's like, hey, can you just write this landing page for us? You know? Do you have a vision for the future growth of the company and the, your team? Have you thought about that far three, five years down the road? Where do you want this to go? So the creative content shop has up to this point been an international business. We've had clients in Canada and Australia, but I recently we really, really wanted to focus local. As we head into the future, we are prioritizing local businesses, you know, call it Zoom fatigue. Maybe that's a part of it, but I really want my team to be able to walk into a client's business. I want to come into the business with my videographer, my photographer, my writers, and have everyone know each other. 
Um, that's really important to me. We have a couple of clients like that now and I love them. And I love my, I love my far away clients too, but there's something so special about, um, everybody knowing each other. Mm. So that's the direction I want to take this. I don't necessarily see the creative content shop having a brick and mortar office location. I think that creatives that I work with really love working from cafes, libraries, their kitchen tables. They love the fact that their dogs are at their feet. I don't want to take that away from anybody, but I do want to introduce this in-person element where it's like, all right, well, you remember, you know, Tim or you remember, you know, whoever, you know, we know our clients, we shake hands with them. And also just understanding the culture in which these businesses operate is increasingly important. You know, we need to understand the environment in which they operate. So we're increasingly in the future going to be very Columbus, very Ohio focused. Hey, everybody. Mike here. We're going to take a quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, One Columbus. And we are very excited to partner with One Columbus. They really, really share the same vision as us here at the Conquering Columbus podcast, which is really building up the Columbus region to be one of the most prosperous regions in the United States. And One Columbus serves as the business location resource for companies across central Ohio and around the world as those companies grow, innovate, and compete within the global economy. And they help us lead a regional growth strategy that develops and attracts the world's most competitive companies, it grows a highly adaptive workforce and prepares our communities for the future, inspiring innovation across the board. Their mission really is just ensuring the Columbus region is a vibrant place to build businesses and careers. So again, we really appreciate all of their support. You want to learn more about them, go check out their website, columbusregion.com. That's columbusregion.com. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back into the episode. It's a good place to kind of pivot towards some of our last questions of the show. And yeah. uh, the first one I'll ask you is, hey, you got any advice for our listeners? They are typically going to be entrepreneurs, young professionals, age 25 to 40 in yeah. Columbus area. We got people all over the place. So if you don't fit that category, I'm sorry. But <laughs> There's probably at least one listening in San average, Diego. Yeah, probably at least one. My mom. <laughs> yep. Yeah, she's there. Uh, but... You're from there? No. Yeah, where did you grow up? I uh, I grew up all over the place, actually. Oh, okay. Oh. Mainly, uh, been, I was a military brat. Must have been military. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Where's your favorite place you grew up? San Diego. There yeah. it is. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you identify. This, it, how long are we going to keep this going? The running Forever and ever. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Sorry. Going back to the question. Any yeah. advice for our listeners other than never mentioning that you're from San Diego? Yeah. Well, that, that's a good good place to start. Uh, yeah. So uh, any advice I have for entrepreneurs, anybody looking to get into their business, you have to have a golden gut. <laughs> you have to have patience in the process of running a business. I think a lot of people throw their hats in the ring because they get frustrated because cash flow and because they're not where they want to be. And it's frustrating running your own business, but you have to just be patient. And I'm really bad at patience. <laughs> so it's been fun. Um, so it's hard to take my own advice sometimes with that. But uh, the major, major, major thing that I will say is get a business coach. You can't afford to not have a business coach. I don't know where I would be today without my business coach. And I know people that have gone from, uh, you know, netting 40K a year to a million a year because they listen to their business coach. So like, you can't, you think this is an investment you can't make right now. It's an investment you can't afford to not make. Like mm -hmm. get a business coach, trust me. They'll show you, you know, cause a lot of us as business owners, like I'm not, I, you know, I told you I studied creative writing. I'm a copywriter. That's my zone of genius. Mm -hmm. I can write anything, but you know, I didn't identify as like a business person. I still don't. I'm not great at sales. I don't think 
there's so many things about business, like the numbers and cash flow forecasts and bookkeeping and even, you know, managing a team, you know, understanding whether or not your employees know what you expect from them. Just there's so much to running a business that you need to learn. The best way to learn that is a business coach. Mm -hmm. So that's my number one, I think, advice. Get a business coach. Good advice. I mean, you wouldn't expect to be the best you can be at anything without a yeah, coach. Yeah, right? totally. Like, I mean, I think growing up, we all learned like, hey, go talk to your coach. Learn from your coach. Yeah. We got teachers. We got coaches. Then all of a sudden, you're an adult, and you're like, now it's just me. Now you're expecting to know everything all right. of a sudden? Uh, yeah, not happening. No, yeah. <laughs> doesn't make a lot True. of sense. But Yeah. Uh, and Rebecca, our last question of the show centered around the theme here on Conquering Columbus, yes. and that is live uncomfortably. So mm-hmm. without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life and career? Yeah, there are two things I think that mm-hmm. pop into my head when I hear that. The first is that 0.2 seconds where you dive into a cold pool and your entire body feels this shock for a second and it's really uncomfortable. And then uh, literally a couple minutes later, you're feeling great swimming around, having fun. You know, there's always that friend that's always in the water before you like, get in the water, just do it. Don't think about it, just do it. And then you're so glad you did. You get out of the pool, you're like, man, I feel refreshed. I'm so glad I did that. And the second thing I think of is uh, as a musician, I am also a musician here in Columbus. I'm in this little rock band, three of us. And I don't care how seasoned you are as a performer, there are major anxieties sometimes before you get up on that stage. You know, you get the pre-show jitters and uh, it's still, you know, you got to get up there. What are you going to not play a show? So, you know, no matter how nervous you are, you got to get up on that stage. It feels really, really uncomfortable for a second. You know, you're like, what if I forget my instrument cables? Or what if I forget the line in that second verse? And, you know, if you mess up, which you will, I promise you, you'll mess up. It'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Um, People aren't counting your mistakes the way you're counting your mistakes. And once you get off that stage, you're going to feel so good that you did that. And so when I think of, you know, living uncomfortably, I think of the fact that it's not actually that uncomfortable. I think there's this troll on our shoulder that's like, it's going to suck, but it doesn't actually, it, it, it just, it, it's uncomfortable for a couple seconds and then you kind of get over that hill and then it's fine. And then you feel used to it. And then you have kind of like hit a next level in the video game, so to speak. And then, you know, taking the time to have gratitude that you went past that comfort zone, so to speak, or took that step is a big deal. You know, you should celebrate that. Absolutely. Well, Rebecca, it's been great talking to you. We really appreciate you taking the time to come here and share your story on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And Conquerors, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed that interview, you want to hear more, just like them, hit that subscribe button. We appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week.